0: 佐藤、なかなかやるな
1: せなんだぞ<笑>
0: All right, that was the opening music to Zatoiti Challenged, released in 1970, and starring uh, Shintaro Katsu, and directed by, and I'm going to look this up in my little book that came, I'm going to look it up in my little book that came with the the box set here. This book is amazing. I, I just was reading it last night and it has the short story that the whole series was based on. So I was going to read something from that as well, but this was directed by the same person who directed the first one, uh, Kenji Masumi, And he directed several other of the movies in the series. And I, I, I think the ones he's directed are some of my favorite out of the series that I've watched. And I also wanted to call out the cinematographer, uh, Chikasi Makiura. Because I I thought some of the opening shots and some of the other shots throughout the movie were just so beautiful. And there was some original music by Akira Ifukubi. And I enjoyed sort of the opening scenes where there was some musical numbers.
1: Yes. Should we do our introduction and then... You're ready to go?
0: We should. So uh, you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Classic Movie Reviews and look for the black and white logo that has a film reel on it. And you can also find us in Facebook. Just search for ClassicMovieReviews.net, and that's all spelled out as uh, one long word. And, of course, you can always visit our website at ClassicMovieReviews.net. And on there we have a page with all of the episodes listed, and you can just kind of click through and listen to the ones that you're interested in there.
1: And and he asked, how many episodes have we done?
0: Well, this is going to be episode 122. So, yeah, we're getting further into the, into the hundreds here. Uh, and I love it. Yeah, and I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm recording from sunny, kind of cool North Bend, which uh, I know is not how it is down in L- L.A. today, huh?
1: <laughs> no, this Bob Johnson in Los Angeles where we're having a heat wave, a tropical heat wave, as the song goes. <laughs> so we're welcoming you all back to uh, Classic Movie Reviews, and uh, Matt, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, so this...
0: Uh series of movies. There were 25 in the original run, and then there was a 26 that was released in 1989, also starring Shintaro Katsu. And there was a spin-off TV series that ran for four seasons, and there was 100 episodes of that show, and he also starred in that TV series. And I just wanted to read a, a short passage here from the, the short story by Kan Shimazawa, And it was first published in 1948. So here it is. No one who saw him walking along with his shaved head and his long-handled sword at his side would ever have guessed he was blind. The man had an uncanny sixth sense. Blind though he was, Zatoichi was a master swordsman with a lightning draw. He had only to lay a hand on his sword for an opponent to shrivel in fear. And that pretty much encapsulates pretty much every Zatoichi movie.
1: <laughs> it does. It, I think they made more uh, films, more episodes, than even the James Bond movies.
0: Oh, yeah. It's uh, definitely more than the James Bond. I
1: think they're in the 20s with James Bond, but 26 films, right?
0: Yeah. And wow. it's interesting. Like They have like a little backstory on Zatoichi. He lost his father at the age of five separated from him while on a pilgrimage to Mount Meogi. He went blind shortly after that. He learned massage from a man whose death he avenges in Zatoichi's revenge and studied swordsmanship with a samurai who becomes his adversary in New Tale of Zatoichi. He was once numbered among the baddest of Yakuza. And there's a quote, Cut those I shouldn't have, killed those I shouldn't have, from the New Tale of Zatoichi. But by the time we make his acquaintance, he has settled into the life of an itinerant gambler and masseur, drawing his lethal cane sword only when he must.
1: Wow, that's excellent! And boy, is he ever good at that! Talk about proficiency! Yeah, no with kidding. With his sword. You mentioned that it was re- this this film uh, episode seventeen or part seventeen was released in the United States in nineteen seventy. That's and I was I was reading that it was released in Japan in 1960s at the end of 1967 so it took a while to make it over here from Japan.
0: Oh, you know what? I actually was looking at the wrong page. It it, it was 1967.
1: Oh, oh okay. How how many of these films have you watched now?
0: Probably about 8 of them. I
1: wow.
0: I want to watch them all, but it's quite an undertaking.
1: Well, yeah, each one is about an hour and a half long, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You're more of an expert on on these films than I am, but I know you're going to be going to Japan in a couple weeks. I'm wondering if there'll be any chance for you to, well, you're going to Vietnam and Japan. I wonder if there's any chance that you might visit some of the areas that are described in the films, like the mountains and that sort of thing. Well,
0: we're going to definitely hike. Mount Fuji, but that's never come up in the movies. Um, And it's interesting because in the films, he's mostly out in the rural areas in little towns and kind of along the road. And of course, Japan has changed a lot since the 1840s when these films were sort of set. Uh, But we are going to go to some of the um, temples and some of the outlying areas. Yeah, I'm super excited about that trip. Uh, we had planned to want it. We wanted to go to the Studio Ghibli Museum. And the way that those tickets work is they're released on the 15th of every month for the next month. And like they, they basically sell out immediately. And we, we, we were just a little bit too late, and all of the tickets were sold for the next, for August. <laughs> it was like, shoot. Yeah, super popular. Uh, so I think we might go to Japanese Disneyland, which is supposed to be one of the best Disneylands uh, in the world. And so we we might do that.
1: Okay, that'll be a marvelous trip. I'm looking forward to some uh, photos of, of, of your trip along the way.
0: Well, here's a lo- I thought I'd give a little bit of background about Shintaro Katsu, because he's kind of a fascinating character. Uh, okay, he was, he was and then more... I... I... Okay, no, I was no, going to I say had...
1: that. I've got some background on Kenji, the director. So.
0: Oh, awesome. Yeah, so Shintaro Katsu was born Toshio Okamura on November 29th, 1931, and he was the son of a noted kabuki performer. And he was the his father was renowned for the Naga Auta and shamisen skills. So he's a good musician. And his younger brother was also an actor, And his younger brother, Tomo Saburo Wakayama, played a character called Lone Wolf and Cub in a series of movies that Shintaro Katsu produced. So his brother produced them in another series of samurai movies. And he began his career in entertainment as a shamisen player, and then he switched to acting because he thought it would be better paying. And then in the 60s, he starred simultaneously in three long-running series of films that Ak-Um-Yo series, the Hoodlum Soldier series, and the Zatoichi series. So he was pretty prolific in the 60s and into the 70s. Uh, unfortunately, he had kind of a troubled personal life and was a heavy drinker and got in trouble with the law regarding some drug use. But my favorite part of the story was that he was cast by Akira Kurosawa to star in the lead role of Kagamusha, in 1980 but he left after the first day of shooting or even before the first day of shooting was over and the most prevalent story was that he had brought his own camera crew to the set to film Kurosawa in action so that he could show his uh, students later and Kurosawa didn't like that and so they got into a big fight and and he just left that was it
1: (laughs) (laughs) well it's a that's probably not the first time that's happened in filmmaking. <laughs> oh, man. Here or there and everywhere else. Wow. So well, anyway,
0: that's probably more background than we normally give, but I just thought that was kind of fascinating.
1: Well, it's interesting to me because we haven't done a lot of films from Japan or Asia, so I think it it's interesting uh, to kind of go into more detail. The director, Kenji Mizumi, did I pronounce that right?
0: I think so. Uh,
1: was... Uh, uh, lived from 1921 to 1975 he d- died a fairly early a early age of 54 and he was known for kind of the expert director of sword fighting movies he did a lot of them uh, his his growing up years were a mess his mother and dad really didn't want much to do with children so they shipped Kenji off to his aunt and and she raised him. Apparently his father wanted him to go into uh, get a degree in business. And Kenji said, mm. No, I'm gonna go into filming. And so his his father just completely cut him out of the family. Wow. Which is really really that sad. Um uh, one of the things that he I noted was he made he made about twenty or so film. And I was reading a review by another person whose name I don't have in front of me right now that he considered Kenji to be one of the samurai cinema's greatest and his personal favorite as a director because of the way mm-hmm. he made the films. So um, I think his style was such that he could make these in fairly quick order.
0: Well, and they were, they were pumping these movies out every I know. a couple of times a year, I think. We talked about that in the when we did the first Satoichi movie.
1: I know. It was almost like a, a a television series in a way, and it's interesting how these films, many of them, have made their way to the United States and other parts of the world. And I'm thinking back to the Magnificent Seven, and how that came, and then this film, and and you confirmed this the other day, showed up in 1989 in the U.S. as the uh, Rudger Howard movie. Um. And I just lost the title. Blind, Blind Fury. Blind Fury. That he—he's—he's he's actually the character in that that's depicted in the film that we're reviewing today.
0: Yeah, I, I remember I was uh, getting ready for the podcast last night and and opened up IMDb and the first thing I saw was that Rutger Hauer had passed away last week and they we, they just released you, the, know. you know that news yesterday and man that was a bummer.
1: It was it was a weird coincidence with our doing this podcast, also.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's one of my favorite actors, and I, I was saying before the re- recorded that he's one of the best parts of the Blade Runner movie, the original Blade Runner movie. Always, oh, and I'll never, yeah. I'll never ever forget watching the Hitcher in the theater. I think I still have nightmares about that guy.
1: We went, we went to that, and I've never, I've never seen someone that was so unrelentingly bad.
0: Yeah, he was just—he was awesome in that movie though. <laughs> yeah, right. as as that character. Oh. He was
1: so good. Oh yeah, and and as a replicant in Blade Runner. But anyway, I I kind of took us off point there. But um, the director of this film is is really highly regarded. Really.
0: So I I did a little bit more research on that sword fight that's in the film and how that was kind of the reason I wanted to re, you know watch this movie, and. I kind of understand now why it's such a big deal, like the way that it was filmed and sort of the way that it ends. And yeah, we're definitely going to talk about spoilers in this podcast. So if you haven't seen this movie, I I think it might be available on YouTube, but if not, you should definitely try to get your hands on the uh, Blu-ray. And there's actually a box set f- that's available of all of these movies. And I I remember... Getting an awesome deal on it at Barnes and Noble, they had this fifty percent off sale, and the fifty percent off sale was on top of any sale prices that they had. And this box set was normally like two hundred and twenty dollars, but it was on sale for like a hundred and fifty plus the fifty percent off. So I got it for like seventy five bucks. Oh I mean, I never, I never whipped out my credit card so fast in my life when I saw that deal at Barnes and Noble. I was like, I'm not letting that go.
1: No kidding. How many? How many uh, film are in the set?
0: Twenty-five. Or you, oh, you got all them all? Here.
1: Oh, wow! Yeah. yeah,
0: and there's a really neat booklet too that oh. kind of gives a lot of background about it.
1: Well, um, the synopsis of the story is Sadouichi uh, checks into an inn uh, where he shares a room with a a woman and her young son, and I found that sort of interesting. But you explained to me that uh, yeah.
0: So, so the the, the deal with like. Zato Ichi. Like Ichi sort of became synonymous with being a blind person. And Zato is a ranking in Japanese society. And so being Zato Ichi, it's not really his name per se, but it's sort of like describing his place in society. And he's he's at the very, very lowest rung of this, you know, this caste system in Japan. And what I learned was that there is almost no upward mobility in that society. So there's no way for him to ever sort of not be at the very bottom of, of the society's uh, caste system. And so what, what would commonly happen would be if the inn was pretty full and, and you were a blind person like he is, then you, you would share, you could share a room with a woman because the assumption was, well, you're blind and it, it doesn't really matter. You can't see, anything and it's not going to be a big deal and also you're sort of like the lowest of the low so it's almost like you you know putting a dog in there with 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 her in a way i mean that's kind of how society would have seen him at the
1: time he wasn't uh overly thrilled with the fact either that uh she was quite ill
0: yeah he has a funny line where he says she's she's coughing and real sick and he's like oh, great room that i got to share here you know it's sort of like rolling his eyes, but it's it's just little things like that that give away some of his character and, and give you a little bit more insight that, you know, he's not super happy about this, but he's also not going to turn his back on her, and he's going to help her. And he, he tries to massage her back and trying to, you know, see if he can help her in any way, but he can't, and she, go, she dies. But before she dies, she gives him this uh, pen that he that she has and that her son has been using to draw pictures because her son is a really good artist
1: i was just going to say it as as is his father we find out later in the film
0: yeah and and her dying wish is that uh zatoichi will take her son to this village where uh, his father is at and all he gets is a name and a and a location and that's it and then she she dies
1: yeah. And he's I think the young son is probably what four years old maybe? Something yeah, he's like not that. Very old and so before, yeah. they take off on their travels and they uh they get a ride uh with a traveling performance troupe.
0: Yeah, and there's a really fun sort of musical number <laughs>
1: yeah, there. there
0: is. <laughs> Which came out of nowhere, because it's not that common in the series to have a musical number like that, but it it, it follows up the opening song, which is sung, by, uh, is sung by Shintaro Katsu, and so you're kind of like set up, you know, he's got this music at the beginning, and then there's these beautiful shots of him walking through the countryside, and then we get to the inn, and then we get back on the road, and we see this traveling troupe of uh performers and they're singing this song and it's um very colorful and festive i thought
1: very much so and i uh, i i sent you a text when i was watching the film that uh he got a little too involved in the in the uh massage he was giving to one of the performers and i thought goodness sakes yeah <laughs> yes. and,
0: and she says something to him like well you're a smooth talker, talker aren't you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think
1: he he enjoyed that and and I thought wow that, I don't know if I haven't seen other films in this series so maybe he shows that same interest in other he films
0: seems to, He seems to get along pretty well with uh, you know prostitutes and and women that are sort of more on the lower cast of of the society ah. but it's kind of it's kind of sad in a way because he never he can never really form a relationship with anybody. With anybody. Uh, it, yeah.
1: there's, a, there's a scene in it, um, I'm jumping ahead, just because it reminded me when, he's, when the thing is kind of wrapping up and he leaves and he's going across a bridge and the young boy is trying to track him down. That reminded me of the ending of Shane.
0: Oh totally. You know,
1: totally. <laughs> so it, the influence of these films because these were made, well no, I guess Shane was made before this. Yeah. I got it backwards. There's probably it's well, probably a coincidence sh- cuz Shane was made in 1952 or
0: 53, so. Yeah. Well, but I think it's it's more of a a theme in the films and 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 Shane as well because he he has this adventure or he has like, he forms these relationships with these people through this really trying time. And then he can't stay and be a part of it. Right. Like he can't, he he can't stay there and be a, come a part of this society or this family or this town or whatever it happens to be. And, and you always know that the ending of the movie of the Zatoichi series is, is, is coming when you see him kind of start to walk off by himself yeah,
1: that's that. That's a theme in uh, in the film The Magnificent Seven too. After they've done their good deeds, they, those that are remaining, ride off into the sunset. Yeah. Um.
0: So there's. So we're on the road with this traveling troop, and and they're they're going to this village at the request of the sort of the uh, regional magistrate, or, or I don't know what that term exactly is, but. Uh, they've been going there for several years and they're excited to go back, but then they get sort of ambushed by this other gang who says that that magistrate is no longer in power and there's a new boss. And, and really, I guess it's more like a boss, right? They, there's all these rival gangs at this time and they're all vying for power and killing each other off. Yeah, I
1: think they're even referred to as boss.
0: Yeah, but they're, uh, Zatoichi's about ready to get up and, and say something and the little boy's kind of like, Saying, no, don't go, don't go. You know, he's afraid for him. And, and then this other samurai shows up who's also a badass. And he fights them off with the back of his sword. You know, he doesn't actually kill any of them, but he scares them all off because his sword play was so good. No
1: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what talent. Now, that was, that was the uh, nemesis that they have the fight at the end of the film with. He, he, the, the two of them have that sword fight at the end of the film.
0: Right, and, and we find out that this is the second time that the they've run into each other because at the very beginning of the movie Oh uh, right Zatoichi's being chased by this crazy group of like twenty I don't know, they're definitely not samurai, but they're they're like
1: Bandits. Henchmen
0: are yeah. bandits, and he basically kills all of them.
1: Wasn't that something the way the choreography on that was done? Oh my god. Yeah, goodness that was
0: sakes. great. It was this really narrow path between these really tall sort of uh plants on the side and, and he didn't have much room to maneuver, but he didn't need much room the way he he fights.
1: No, not at all. And, and so this is their second meeting that we know of, unless he's from other films earlier.
0: No, it's he, second meeting in this film. Yeah. And then they end up going to the village where they're supposed to be performing and they're setting up and there's another really funny scene where one of the workers is making fun of Zatoichi saying how yeah. he's the most handsome man, yeah. and he's got the most perfect face and the, you know, the most perfect skin and all this, and, and Zatoichi's like, no, you're just a carpenter. And he's like, well, how did you know that? And I, I can hear your tools jumbling around in your toolbox. Then he tries to trick Zatoichi with a dice game, and that's the other thing about Zatoichi is he's, a, he's like an expert gambler.
1: Yeah, he knew right away.
0: Yeah, he was not able to be tricked that uh, way. That was a great scene.
1: I, I I was wondering as I watched the film how much distance there was between these villages that they were walking between, you never having no knowledge of that area.
0: I think they might have spent the night at that one little um, inn where the woman uh, was fixing them some food and he bought some a pair of sandals for the little boy. Yes, he was going to buy two, so but it, then he
1: checked his... Uh, the amount of money he had he said i'll just get one pair
0: yeah so that's the third time that him and the other samurai meet up because uh the other samurai is, is on the same road with zatoichi just by coincidence really
1: well i, I was wondering about that because later we find out that he, he he was sort of shadowing him so he could find out where he was going and then that uh samurai could could uh complete his assignment he had to kill off different people i wonder from the beginning of the film if he wasn't kind of trailing zatoichi because he kept showing up
0: well I i wonder that too because but i think it was more coincidence because at the beginning of the film he's ahead of zatoichi and then somehow he they switch places and he's behind zatoichi but he we find out that he's on a mission from the government which is kind of tied into the whole plot of the film uh, but he's definitely, he's not there for, he's not there for any reason that has to do with Zatoichi, I don't think.
1: I thought maybe he, he knew he was so good at finding things that he he might follow him and find this guy that he was oh, looking well, that for. Could,
0: maybe that could be your headcanon for the movie. <laughs> you know, like, it's not in, it's actually not in the movie, but it kind of explains some things. I, I and, seem to do yeah.
1: that a lot. <laughs> Plus, I like the term headcanon. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, one, one, one aside, uh, I thought I Zati... <laughs> now I'm laughing, Zatoichi, <laughs> uh the way he, they did the special effects for his sight was really well done. Uh, he, he, he had no, you, you could tell that he was blind from the special effects they used for him.
0: Yeah, I wondered how they did that, if that's not just him kind of rolling his eyes back in his head, or if there was something else that he did there, because... Well, in the movies that I've watched, I've only seen his his pupils once where he like stares into the uh, face of one of the bad guys right at the end before he kills him, And it's it's kind of chilling because you don't you don't see his pupils hardly at all.
1: Well, another headcanon from me, boom, is I figured that they had uh, uh, contact lenses that were made to look that way. Maybe. I don't know. That's
0: interesting. I'll have to look into that. So to kind of jump ahead a little bit, we find out that this little boy's father is in this village that they thought he was in, but he's not where he should be. He's been kidnapped because he's a really good artist and he's been painting these uh, forbidden pictures. Yeah. And the boss who's kind of taken over the region has kidnapped him to paint on this pottery and then he's selling the pottery for really large sums of money it's not just the pictures but they're also decorated with forbidden substances like silver and gold which i guess wasn't supposed to be used that way
1: to me it looked as though this guy that uh that was doing the uh, painting you know was never going to be released he was going to be there forever making these beautiful paintings
0: it's pretty sad too because he's not the only one who's conscripted there like he he has kind of this relationship with this woman who also we get the sense is is there against her yeah. will and who kind of has fallen in love with him, but he's not returning that feeling because he's in love with this other woman who's the daughter of the local potter. Mm -hmm. She believes that something's happened to him and that he'll return. And and her father is sort of like, no, he's a bad guy. He's fallen with a bad crowd. He's probably dead. We're never going to hear from him again, but she's got it in her head that yeah, he is going to come back, he's a good guy, and this is the this is the little family that he that Zadoichi and the little boy are kind of staying with in the in the town as he's as Zadoichi's looking for this man
1: and he finds out through this family that the the father was working in this clay mine or i mean he was connected to the people that were working the clay mine. He goes to the mine and and those three guys are making fun of him again. he's very restrained.
0: He doesn't fight unless he really feels like he has to, and
1: it takes a lot to provoke him.
0: I I go back to that scene in the first movie where they're sitting by the pond fishing, him and that other uh, samurai. Do you remember that scene? And and I remember saying that it's yep. almost like he's using the force from mm-hmm. Star Wars. He's got like myth, mystical abilities in some in some way because of his. Uh, being blind and then his heightened other senses perhaps that has to do with it or it's just part of the the, the storytelling but he doesn't just does indiscriminately go around you know killing people like some of the bad guys do
1: no he's he's, he's very good at, at restraint
0: we're in the village we've kind of got a, a lead on where this guy's at we've we've cut to some scenes where we learn about what's happened to him and you know the whole sort of plot device is now set up where you know Zatoichi going to go in and, 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 and rescue this guy. But what hasn't been revealed yet is the role that this other samurai is playing in the whole plot. And we don't really find that out until kind of near the end of the movie, really. I mean, almost the last scene of the movie. But the samurai kind of shows up in odd places. So... Zatoichi is gonna like infiltrate the boss's house and pretend to be a masseur, or maybe to pretend to go gamble. He ends up talking to the boss. The boss isn't gonna give up information about the painter, so he slices the cart in half. <laughs> yes, remember that yeah. scene?
1: Those those swords were really really sharp.
0: Gosh. I tried to show discretion here but I need you know you're going to tell me where where he's at and he's about to tell Zatoichi, and then the other samurai shows up and kills him and you're like what the heck like what's the deal with this other samurai
1: Yeah I think that's the fourth time we see him
0: something's up it's not just coincidence that he keeps showing up they mount a rescue of the painter in order to try to stop Zatoichi, they've they've kidnapped the, the, the daughter of the potter. They've they've killed the potter. So they've got the daughter and the little boy tied up. Zatoichi does go rescue the painter and and as they're kind of trying to escape they get attacked and they all these uh, bandits like start this rock fall on them and, and the, the painter gets injured and they find out that the daughter and the little boy have been kidnapped so then they have to go back to the boss's house And there's a great scene inside the boss's house where Zatoichi tells one of the leaders of the gang, you know, show me where they are, but don't open the door because I know what you're going to do. You're going to slice them down as you open the door, which is exactly what he tries to do. So then Zatoichi like slices him down.
1: And you're not exaggerating when you say slicing. Holy smokes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of blood in the movie and it's sort of left up to your imagination which is okay by me. It's more the yes. choreography and the way that they put those together and and when you're thinking about the fact that he's he's blind, like how does he know where all these people are and he's got these amazing sense of sort of space uh which is cool and and there was one thing that I read that he's almost like a superhero. These these are almost like superhero movies in a way. And I think that's yeah, pretty they accurate. Are. Okay, we've got everybody together now. We've got Zatoichi, we've got the, the painter and the woman that he loves and, and the little boy. And the, and the woman has said that I'll raise the little boy. They're going to be this family because he is the dad of the, of the little boy, which is we find out is true. And they're kind of headed out of town and, and it starts snowing and there's this incredible scene... Again, the cinematography is really wonderful. It really
1: is. It's a beautiful scene with the snow. And The
0: snow is coming down hard and they're about ready to leave when this other samurai shows up, the one that's kind of been kind of on the periphery. And we find out that he's a government agent sent to wipe out everyone and everything related to this forbidden pottery. And that means that he's got to kill the painter. And Zatoichi has this imploring speech of like, well, it's not his fault he was kidnapped he was forced to do this he you know it's not he didn't it's not something he wanted to do and the samurai is like it doesn't matter i my orders were to kill every everything and wipe out every trace of this. then the daughter gets down on her hands and knees and begs the samurai to please 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 you know don't kill him he just found his son we're gonna be a family and and he says the samurai says something like it doesn't matter if you don't get out of my way i'll kill you and the little boy yeah so he's like so cold-hearted at the beginning of that scene it sets this sword fight up so well to me like it so one of the reasons why i think this sword fight is one of the best ones that's been in this series for sure if maybe not all of samurai films is that it sets up the emotional tone really really well it's not just cutting people down because they're in his way. It's like he really really is trying to his best. Zatoichi is really trying his best to not fight him. He doesn't want to fight him. And the samurai is just adamant like, "No, this I have to kill him." Yeah.
1: And so the 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 battle ensues with the sword fight, which is one of the longest ever filmed. It seems like it's 5 minutes.
0: It goes on for a while and I think it it's interesting cuz it's 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 the first time in this movie and and I've noticed in other movies that when he goes up against really good swordsmen, it's not so easy for him, right? Like you think actually he, he was kind of defeated in that sword fight. Yeah.
1: I was kind of surprised when they saw the trail of blood. Yeah. Because
0: he does stab the other samurai in the shoulder and he loses the use of one of his arms.
1: I was also impressed with Zadayuchi's use of that sword to kill that other guy where he gave up his sword to kill that other person. That's how he lost his sword.
0: They're in the middle of this battle, and then another one of the henchmen shows up, and Zatoichi has to make a decision. The henchman gets around and is about ready to kill the painter. So Zatoichi throws his sword, and, and it goes into the back of the henchman. Whew. And I think that's what really impressed the samurai, was that he was, he was willing to give up his life to save the painter. Because he he didn't have a sword at that point he he had no way to defend himself.
1: Yeah, it was really good. It was a good movie. I I I, I think I'll ask you to give your rating first this time because you're so much more familiar with these films.
0: But I give the cinematography a ten. I give the choreography a ten. I give the set design and and the costuming a a a nine. There was a few scenes where. You could totally see like the the fake like head covering and stuff. Um, and I give the story maybe a seven. I kind of lost a little bit of interest at in some parts. Got a little bit convoluted, and there was a bit of let's get on with it. Some parts. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think overall, I I landed on a on an eight. Um, I think it's a really really good movie. I loved parts of it, and parts of it were just sort of above average
1: it's interesting because i had an 8 in my mind too it's almost like we were collaborating before we did the ratings but completely unknown to me what your rating was i had it at an 8 as well good movie
0: it's one of the better in the series that i've watched and but i don't think it's the best of the series but i think that sword fight is amazing and i think the cinematography especially in the opening 20 minutes i would say is is just a just beautiful beautiful
1: is your plan to watch all uh 26
0: i am going to watch all of them i think what i'm going to do first is i'm going to go back and watch all of the ones that were directed by this director
1: oh by kenji you know what you could do is is take them on the flight you could watch six of them <gasps> to <gasps> and from <laughs> yeah three on the way and three on the way back you'll have plenty of time might even be able to do more
0: Uh, that's what i'm gonna do that's so so smart you could load them on
1: and there you go
0: i'll put them all on my phone and then i can watch them on the plane that's great i'll let you know how that goes i'll i might get overloaded it might be too much
1: (laughs) (laughs) i watched 12 of these on the flight to and from Oh. oh boy that's that's our podcast for this time
0: yeah, that's toichi Challenged. And coming up next is another film that was filmed outside the United States. This time it was in Venice, uh, and it's called Don't Look Now.
1: With one of our favorite actors, Donald Sutherland.
0: Donald Sutherland. It's on Netflix DVD, and it's a Blu-ray, and so I'm excited about being able to watch this movie in, in such a high-quality format.
1: I have watched it. it, it it's a really... Uh... He's headed to some problems. I'll put it that way, in the film.
0: I've read it's kind of a thriller slash ghost story. Is I think how I. Yeah,
1: that's a good way to describe it. And
0: it also stars Julie Christie. Yeah. Have you have you seen it? Yet? I have not. So that was that we challenged, and coming to you from North Bend. This is Matt Johnson,
1: and from sunny and warm Los Angeles, Bob Johnson, wishing you all happy movie watching.